Welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Podcast. I'm George Sedano, and we are joined by ESPN NBA reporter Tim Bontemps, friend of the program. Now, this program not as, uh, you know, it hasn't been around long enough to have a friend, but he's a friend of mine, which means he's a friend of the program. I feel like that works out, Tim. I, I never get to come on your radio show anymore and you don't have guests. So it's good to actually get a chance to uh, do something with you. It's good. Yes. And we may slowly start to integrate guests again, but uh, oh, you know, all right. I, I had to adhere to management. Everyone says I'm very difficult to work with. So I feel like I had to do the right thing and adhere to management <laughs> in that scenario. So you said this, it, not me. This says, uh, this gives me the opportunity to do exactly the opposite of what management wants, which is talk to as many people as I want. So <laughs> let's start with this. Uh, all right, let's get to the Eastern Conference. You spend a lot of time in the Eastern Conference. We will dabble in the West a little later, but let's start in the East. And if we're going to start in the East, we got to start with the hottest team in the Eastern Conference. It's insane for me to say this. Hottest, team in, hottest team in the league, George. Yeah, yeah. Considering where we were just a few months ago, maybe even a couple of weeks ago, it's the Brooklyn Nets, Tim Bontemps. What is different about the Brooklyn Nets? Well, the, the Nets are healthy. Uh, they have all the guys on the court. And, you know, they've also hit a pretty favorable stretch of the schedule, right? You combine those two things together. And we started to see the Nets look like at least something resembling the team they were supposed to be. Now, I have some questions about ultimately just what their overall ceiling is. They have played a pretty favorable stretch of games. They've won a lot of them by three to five points easily could have gone the other way but look the, the Celtics just got obliterated last night by Oklahoma City we've seen a lot you know Milwaukee has scuffled lately um you know certainly the Western Conference teams at the top of the West are dropping games uh, on a pretty regular basis so to go on the kind of stretch that Boston or that Brooklyn has been on has been incredibly impressive and it, it is good to see them functioning like a normal basketball team but <laughs> You do have to always sort of feel like, you know, there's some sort of other shoe to drop with this group. And until we see this go on for an extended period of time, I'm going to withhold some judgment. But they had a nice win over Milwaukee. They had a nice win over Cleveland on both halves or both sides of Christmas. And they got an awfully big game next week against the Celtics um, next Thursday that I, I'm very curious to see what they look like. And I'll be in attendance for they are a top three team in offensive rating at the moment as the moment of this taping. And more surprising to me when I look just now, they're number 10 in defensive rating. Now, the games I've watched, this is what sticks out to me on the defensive side. Kevin Durant is playing incredible defense right now. Maybe in a way we haven't seen ever, perhaps. Uh, certainly, I think since his days at Golden State, where I felt like there were moments there where he was incredible on defense as well. Um, and then Claxton, to me, feels like he's starting to grow into his own. Like, what are you seeing well, look, defensively? The, the other thing that should have been said about the Nets was the biggest thing about them is 36. And that's the number of games that Kevin Durant has played. And if Kevin Durant is healthy and on the court, the Nets by default, are going to have a chance because he is that good. Now, he's also playing 36 minutes a game and playing. he's played 36 of, I believe, 37 games so far for the Nets. I think he's only missed one game, and that was uh, that was one of the Nets when they sat everybody out. That was the, the famous game they sat everybody out a few weeks ago in Indiana in the middle of this winning streak. They left their top eight guys at home. They actually got fined for doing so, and then um, they went and won with, their whole second unit basically and that kind of kick-started this whole run that they're on but yeah look I mean the Nets the Nets have been playing well at both ends and like I said earlier they've actually been 
a solid, functioning, normal, good team. And, you know, th- that has not been the case, as you know, George, really from the moment Katie and Kyrie showed up with the Nets in 2019, right? So, like, it sounds like a dig, but it's really not. Like, they're, they're Jock Vaughn has done a phenomenal job. He has those guys locked in. He has them, you know, playing to a standard. He has held them accountable. I, I think he's done a phenomenal job there. And, you know, again, they're healthy. They're getting in a rhythm. They're playing well. And as long as Katie and Kyrie are on the court, they're going to score. And if they can stay anywhere near 10th in defense overall, they, they're going to they're gonna be heard from because th- that's a combination that can win them games in the playoffs. What is Jacques Vaughn doing that Steve Nash did not? It's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to accountability, right? Or just overall, you know, there was a, pl- there was a play early on after he took over where Kyrie freelanced on an early offensive possession at a game and he immediately called timeout and was like, we're not doing that. Right. And I, I think he, you know, whether it was because he's a-, a fresh face or, you know, everybody was just happy to move on from the absolute mess that they were in at the time, whatever the case is and was, he has done a good job of galvanizing that group, pulling them together and getting them pointed in the right direction, which frankly, they just were not before that. So I, I don't know, you know, tactically, I'm not sure, you know, they're doing anything dramatic, really. Right. They're having pretty crazy luck on jump shooting. That's probably going to come back to some degree, though. They have two of the greatest jump shooters of all time on their team, so it might not. So, you know, they their their formula is pretty simple. Keep Kevin healthy. Keep him on the court. Have Kyrie out there on the court doing his thing and then have the other guys fill in around him. And it certainly worked out well over the past month or so. And again, I'm I'm very, very interested to see what they look like when they play the Celtics. Because remember, this whole streak they're on right now, I think they've won 16 to 17 or something. Um, the Celtics are the one team that beat them. And so, you know, we'll see if can do something now time. with Boston, uh, look, I remember listening to you. Uh, you're on so many podcasts, so I'm glad you're joining mine. I don't know if it was Zach's. I don't know if it was Brian's. Uh, but you guys were talking about the Celtics and their offense at the time. And this was, I want to say, like around Thanksgiving time, they were on a ridiculous historic record pace from an offensive rating standpoint at that point. Yeah. Now, they're still number one in offensive rating. But if you go back from December 1st till today... Uh, on the time of this taping, which is Wednesday, January 4th, they are 28th in that stretch, in that month and change in offensive rating. What has changed there? I, again, they, this comes back to regress, regression to the mean on jump shooting, really, right? You go back to the beginning of December and Al Horford shooting 50% from three. Grant Williams was shooting almost 50% from three. Malcolm Brogdon was shooting 48% from three. Uh, Derek White was shooting 44% from three, right? Every guy on their team was just hitting a ridiculous amount of three-point shots. The, those numbers now, 44%, 43%, 42%, Derek White down to 37%, right? So all of those guys in the course of a month have dropped six, seven percentage points right. from three-point range, right? So naturally, if you have a team that's built around jump shooting and everybody's making shots and then nobody's making shots, that's what's going to happen, right? And that's why, to me, for as good as they were playing, obviously they are, they got off to a fantastic start. They're 18-4. and four. Now they're 26-12. and 12. They've gone 8-8 eight and eight the last 16 games. They have to get Robert Williams fully integrated back with this group because the Celtics were too much of a team even when they were humming early on, that was they were so reliant on jump shooting. They're really just a one-trick pony of a team. 
Well, I don't think we need to get into that. We know what they are. They just got Joingles back. Chris has been in and out of the lineup a little bit. Well, that is the one um, The one thing I will say real quick about them, George. I agree with you. I think overall they're going to be fine. But Chris Middleton's yeah. played seven games. And, like, you, you go back to last season, he's dealt with injury issues now for a while. And they're going to need their core four. Their core four guys are on the court. Brooke, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke, uh, and Giannis. Brooke Lopez, the first guy. I think they're the best team in the league. But to this point, we haven't really seen them together at all. These guys are older. Um, all those guys are, you know, either in their 30s or approaching them. And they've played a ton of minutes, ton of games. And, you know, I, I'm not sure we can necessarily guarantee they're going to be available at this point based off the way this has gone, Chris in particular. And so that hmm. that's something I'm really curious to see is can he get back on the court? Can they get some rhythm? Can he start to look better? Because he didn't look great when he was out there in the seven games he played. Um, now, again, he, he, he hadn't played since the, the spring. He's coming off injury in the middle of a season. Um, he's had some personal stuff he's dealing with. So there's a lot going on. But, I mean, he shot, he scored 11 points a game and was shooting 32% from the field, right? So, like, let's see him get back on the court and get going. But, yeah, I think if you tell me they're healthy come playoff time, uh, the Bucks are probably going to be just fine. Yeah, I don't. I just don't have a ton of worries about them. I feel like Giannis is at the peak of his powers. He's the best player on the planet, in my estimation. Um, you know, I I just don't have a ton to worry about. And Brooke, to your point, is look, I, I he's think been awesome. Brooke, he's the look. If I had a vote right now, I'd probably vote for him Defensive Player of the Year. He's definitely in my top two or three. Yeah, he's he's been the linchpin for them all year, and, and it's easy to forget, right? He basically missed all of last season, right? Um, with back issues, it wasn't really clear what level of player um, he was going to be able to be for them when they came back last year. He came back, he looked pretty good in the playoffs. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with his contract next summer because he is going to be a free agent. And, you know, like you said, he's been as good as any defensive player in the league. He's got the, the Bucks up to fourth in defense right now. They're four-tenths of a point um, per 100 possessions buying Cleveland for first in defense in the league. And that's with, you know... Chris Middleton barely playing, Drew Holiday being in and out of the lineup. Obviously, a bunch of not so great defensive players around those guys. So, Tim, we spent a lot of time so far this season talking about in the East that it's Milwaukee, Boston, and everyone else. Have the Nets crept into that conversation? No, not not for me. I, I still, you know, look, Boston, Milwaukee have come back to the pack a little bit, obviously, with the way they played over the past month. But I still put those teams went healthy above everybody else. And I I would say the Nets at first I didn't have them in the same tier as teams like. Cleveland and Philly and possibly Miami, but I would say Miami's below that now. But I would say that Brooklyn is now in the Cleveland and Philly year, just like before. They at least have given themselves a chance to make this thing, which, as you let off the pod talking about, if you told me that was going to be the case two months ago or even a month ago, I, I would not have imagined it was so full credit to them for really getting their, their uh, situation turned around in a way. I, I feel like we've now stumbled expected. upon something that can be yours on this podcast. Tim's tears. I feel like that's what we do. Uh, <laughs> we will save that for the end of this particular taping. And All right. I like it. We'll have Tim's tears. We'll do that at the end. So let me continue. You're in Philly today uh, for a game between the Sixers and Pacers, I believe. So that's right. Um, here's my thoughts on Philly. So I watch them. I know they're playing better. They've won eight out of their last 10. Um, yep. It still feels like they're just taking turns in a lot of ways. Like, I don't feel like when I watch Embiid and Harden that there's this great synergy. 
that they are completely in sync, that they know what the other person's going to do before the other person does it. I just feel like they're just two uber talented players, particularly on offense, and they're just getting by. Am I crazy or what? Well, I think the thing to think about there, George, in part, is that they haven't really played a lot together, right? I mean, that trade happened right before the trade dead, or right before the All Star game last year. James was dealing with the hamstring stuff, so he came back a couple weeks later, and then you know they played the final six weeks of the regular season. Then they play in the playoffs. Joel was dealing with the um, the thumb and face injuries at the time, right? So he in the playoffs wasn't the the same player he normally is. And then James has missed a month of this season. And Joel missed a bunch of time at the beginning. So I don't have the exact number of games in front of me, but if you told me they played 40 games together, that might be high, right? right. So some of it, I think, is working through that. Um, but I do think their chemistry has been pretty good. And I think after Joel got through the first couple weeks of the season where he was dealing with his plantar fasciitis and he had a non-COVID illness that knocked him out for a couple of games, he has been playing as well as anybody in the league. To me, the more interesting thing about Philly is what's happened since Tyrese Maxey has come back from this fracture in his foot, which is that Tyrese Maxey is coming off the bench. And that, to me, is the fascinating thing to watch with this team going forward is does Tyrese Maxey continue to come off the bench? Obviously, he's had a terrific start to his career. He's a hugely popular guy here in Philly. He's a wonderful kid. He's, he's a terrific player. But you look at Tyler Hero with the Heat last year. You look at Jordan Poole with the Warriors last year. I think that he is more of that kind of a player. And I think if you look at their backcourt and you know this, George, from all the time you were with the heat in particular, you go in the playoffs and you've got James Harden and Tyrese Maxey together on the court with five minutes to go in a playoff game. That's going to be target practice, right? Teams are going to come out and they're going to line up one of those guys. They're going to get a switch and they're going to attack them over and over and over again. When Philly has had DeAnthony Melton out there instead of Tyrese Maxey, that's starting five with DeAnthony Melton, James Harden, Tobias, P.J. Tucker, Joel Embiid. It's been twice as good as the lineups with Maxi out there. It's over 10 points plus per 100 possessions. They've been awesome with that group together over the past few weeks. I think that might be their best lineup late in playoff games. And that's going to be a very interesting thing for Doc Rivers to navigate going forward here because there's probably going to be, it's probably going to be a little dicey to do that sometimes for a lot of reasons, right? With the young rising star at the franchise we've seen in Miami, your hometown team. Now Tyler Hero starting this year. Their season's been kind of up and down as a result. If you ask me, they might be better off with Tyler coming off the bench, but for a lot of reasons, they can't do that right now. So that that to me is the thing, even more than Harden and Embiid, because their, their chemistry has been pretty good, I think. They're putting up tons of numbers. Their defense has been great as a team. It's what do those closing lineups look like, and what does Doc Rivers do with that backcourt? Because that question about what to, what to do with James Harden and Tyrese Maxey has been the thing I've been thinking about with this team since September. And I'm curious to see if this injury kind of opens up a possibility for them to just go forward with the way they have it now, which I think is probably the best way for them to go. I mean, you don't have to sell me on DeAnthony Melton. I saw him play college ball here in LA at USC and the kid he's is just, a, he's awesome. A pit bull. Like he is a pit bull. I love everything about him on defense. I, I love, he understands his limitations and what he's good at from an offensive standpoint. He is as self-aware a player on the floor as yep. there is, particularly for what's still a very young player. Um, and well, when you, you know, have him and PJ Tucker with those super high usage guys, yeah. right? It just makes sense. Yeah. Like it, it just, it makes a lot more sense than trying to fit another high usage guy in there, even before you set aside, even before you get into the defensive issues, which are a real problem. Well, to your point, you need to balance the rotations too, right? Like I think you, right. just, you need balance, you need bench scoring, right? So Tyrese Maxey makes sense. 
I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but Maxi's personality lends to, hey, whatever the team needs, I'm going to do, right? Like, If I, there is any rising young star in the league who you could do this with and it won't be a disaster, and I don't mean that it's going to be a disaster if they do it, but like, if they're, to your point, any if there's anybody in the league who's going to handle this as well as possible, it's Tyrese Maxey. Like, he yeah. is a universally beloved person as a guy, and that I think that's a huge component of that too, George. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, all right, a couple of quick hitters here on the East. The Cleveland Cavaliers, we just saw Donovan Mitchell uh, score and assist on more he had a, points. He had a pretty good game. Yeah, than anyone but Will Chamberlain, basically. Um, so um, I, I feel like, and you and I have had these discussions off air, I feel like he landed in one of the two or three best places for him because you mentioned no question. High usage, right? High usage guy. Um, they needed somebody that can literally just put the ball in the basket in a million different ways. He's capable of doing that. Um, he's a veteran guy. He's now been in the playoffs a number of years, and they've got a really good defensive team around him, and he's actually playing better defense uh, because of it as well. So mm -hmm. I feel like he ended up in the right spot, but what what is their ceiling to you? Uh, I couldn't agree more on the fit. I mean, having him and Darius Garland share the offensive load has been great for them. They have maybe the worst position of any contending team in that small forward spot oh, they have not been able to find an answer there i do actually think dean wade might be a decent solution there but he's been dealing with injuries basically all season and has not been able to get healthy but Wait, you think dean wade at the three i think of their options he's the best option because he, wow. he again if you go back to sort of what we were talking about with philly he's a catch and shoot guy yeah. he's a decent defender um and he doesn't need the ball right like karis lavert is not a good fit Nope. The other guys they have there can't make a shot. Nope. So like he's the best of a not great series of options. And I actually think the contract they have on going the next couple of years for a good team is going to be a pretty good deal. That all being said, it's a lot of talk about Dean Wade. But Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Wait, together, the Wade family. The Wade family is very excited that we just discussed him. Hey, listen, and I, obviously, he's, you know, he's a low key, important player in yeah. the East. I mean, it's it's a funny thing, but it's true. So because they don't have a lot of options to upgrade no. that spot either. No. So. But yeah, the combination of those two guys together carrying the offensive load with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen at the rim is sort of a perfect fit. And then Donovan isn't going to some team like the Knicks or some other team where he has to be the only guy and he's probably not good enough to really lift them up. And then it just sort of becomes like what happened with Carmelo in New York, except probably not as good because he's not the same level of player probably ultimately as Carmelo Anthony. So I do think it's a great fit. I am curious to see what they look like when we get to the playoffs. One thing that I've really honed in on going back to the World Cup when Donovan Mitchell and Kemba Walker were our best players and we finished seventh, I think it was in 2019, it's really hard to win deep in the playoffs when you have small guards because it just gets harder and harder as you go along for them to get their own shot, right? I mean, it's not really a coincidence that if you look across the history of the league, the only guy who's really won a title being that size is Isaiah Thomas as the best player on a team, right? Right. It's just, it's hard. You want to have a LeBron James, a Jason Tatum, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, a Kevin Durant, even Devin Booker, right? Like a bigger, rangier wing is going to have a much easier time getting shots off. And we get down the stretch in these high-level high playoff games, I'm going to be very curious to see, can Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell do enough offensively to be able to overcome some of these other teams? And also, like, you know, how will Jared Allen fare playing guarding a team like the Nets in the playoffs? How will Evan Mobley fare having a guard, you know, 
Kevin Durant or Giannis or um, Jason Tatum in a playoff game, right? So I, I think they're they're they've been a really good team. They're real. They're they've been a fun team. But you look at this group of teams in the middle of the East. Like let's assume Boston and Milwaukee are the top two seeds. So right now you can't even assume that. Three to six in the East is going to be a bear, man. I mean, if these teams are healthy, you're talking about Cleveland, talking about Philly. You could have a Philly-Brooklyn first-round series. You could have a Philly-Cleveland first-round series. You could have a Brooklyn-Cleveland first-round series. That's a slugfest. Yeah. Like, that could be – those teams might be better than every team in the West, or at least on par with any team in the West, and they could be playing in the first round of the playoffs, right? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how hard these teams push – over the next couple of months, because getting one of those top two seeds in the East could be a pretty massive advantage to just avoid having to go through a Brooklyn or a Milwaukee or a Cleveland or a whatever one of those teams extra on top of having to play them in the next couple of rounds. And I think talk about how far Cleveland goes, how far they go might come down to can they push with a young pretty, you know, those four guys are probably gonna be able to play a lot of minutes and a lot of games. Can they maybe push to get the one or two seed and you know, get a favorable matchup or two in the playoffs. Cause I think if they play a Milwaukee or they play a Boston, they're probably going to lose. Right. But if they can get, you know, if they, if they manage to finagle it and get say Atlanta and Philly or Atlanta and Brooklyn or something like maybe they're in the conference finals, which would obviously be a massive step forward for them. All right. Before we get to Tim's tears and let you go, and you've been very kind with your time. Um, sure, man. Let's look at the the rest of the of the East. Okay, we've gone through basically the top five teams in Boston, yep. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Philly. Next, yep. you've got Indy, Miami, New York, Atlanta, Washington, and then the Bulls, Toronto, and then the other three that we don't need to discuss because they're not going anywhere. So, um, but of the other teams that I just mentioned, Indiana through Toronto, if you had to pick one team to get into that top six out of all those teams that are six through mm. you know twelve right now. Who is the team you're picking? You know, I don't. You're you're gonna laugh at me for this. No, I don't. Well, I don't. I mean, I can't promise that. But go ahead. I don't. I don't. The real answer is I don't think you can really pick any of them because okay. I think it's gonna be. It, some of it depends on what are the teams at the bottom of that list: Washington, Toronto, Chicago, in particular, do as far as trades go. Fair. Um. You know, but let's say things relatively stay the same way they are now. I think the highest floor of those teams is actually the Knicks. Hmm. From a regular season standpoint, like in terms of who's going to win the most regular season games. Now, is this basically they have Tibbs, they're going to play hard, and they're going to try to grind you to death, basically? They just have a very solid team. Like, it, there's nothing fancy about it, right? right? But, like, Julius is playing well again. If he's ba he's back in the good graces there, but in New York and like he's playing well. Yeah. Um, Jalen Brunson was the best free agent to change teams in the summer. He's been everything they needed. Yeah. Um, RJ Barrett has been fine. He's played better of late. He's dealing with this yeah. finger issue now, but they they just have like ten or twelve solid quality NBA rotation players on their team, and they can withstand some injuries. And like you said, they're going to play hard. They're going to play. They're going to try to win every game. They're not going to be taking nights off or resting on second half of back-to-backs. Like, would I rather, if I'm going to a playoff series, I would rather have Jimmy and Bam, for example, right, sure. than anybody on the Knicks. But, you know, Jimmy's been off and on with this knee issue. 
you know, Bam has missed some time. Kyle Lowry's played much better this year, but he's going to miss a little bit of time here and there. So, well, like, and they, they've actually, in the last two games, uh, Spolstra has taken Kyle off the floor to close the game. Right. He's put Oladipo right. in there. Right. So, like, I, I just, if you're, if you're asking me who's got a better chance of winning a playoff series, I would take Miami. But if you're asking me who's got the best chance of finishing sixth, just based off how much they're going to care, I would say the Knicks are have a higher floor to do that. Because I think I think Miami is just going to be more interested about being healthy on April 10th. And if they have to win a play-in game, fine. But they're, if their guys are healthy, they're going to think they, as you well know, they're going to think they could beat anybody. Right. But the Knicks are going to be like pushing to win every regular season game possible. But, you know, at the same time, I think all of those teams are pretty even. Yeah. And, you know, if you told me this Indiana team with, you know, Tyrus Halberton has been one of the most fun players to watch in the league this okay. year. So and good. Benedict Matherin is maybe the rookie of the year. Like you tell me they finished six. Sure. Yeah. Like Toronto is good. If they get their act together, maybe, you know, they could make a, a run up the standings, you know? So like it, it is a very muddled group, but if I'm picking one team to finish six, I, I will pick the Knicks. All right, so we'll do Tim's tiers now, Eastern Conference, and then the only Western con- Conference contribution will be Tim's tiers. So let's go. Eastern, <laughs> Sounds good. Eastern Conference, Tim's tiers. Go ahead. All right, I'll do. I can. I can do this quick just to make sure I don't forget anybody. So yeah. we'll say Boston and Milwaukee, as we've talked about, in their own tier. Um, tier one is Boston. Milwaukee. Two best. Two best teams in the league, assuming yeah. they're healthy. Yeah. We'll say Brooklyn, Cleveland, and Philly are in their own group, like we've talked about. Yeah. Um. I think right now you have to say that the Knicks, Heat, and Pacers are in their own tier because they're okay. all pretty good and not dumpster fires. Then you have Atlanta, Washington, Chicago, and Toronto, where who knows what's going on with them on a daily basis on any level. Yeah. Uh, and then Is the Trey teams... Young going to be there long term? I mean, he's going to be there for the next month at least. We'll see about after wow. that. But wow. I mean, I don't think I don't think Trey Young's going anywhere. I'm okay. I mean, it's. Okay. But they're they're a uh, I mean they're a mess. They are. You know, they're a mess on they're a mess on every level. It's easy yeah. to see just watching them. Yeah. And then Orlando, Charlotte, and Detroit, like you said at the bottom, are uh, you know they're they're obviously playing for lottery position. Yeah. They're in the Wembenyama uh, uh, Scoot Henderson sweepstakes. Yes. Yes. So right. in the West Tier One. The okay. West is hard. I think this will be a hard exercise for you in the West. Yeah, I'm trying to decide how many teams to include in the first tier. Are, are we doing this as of today, or are we looking ahead to the playoffs? So today. How do you want today. to do it? Today. We are taping January 4th. Oh, well, that's, that's a little different because, uh, yeah. because like, Steph and Booker are out. So, if healthy, I think you might, I might have seven teams in the first tier. But wow. I would say Denver, Memphis, New Orleans uh, are in the first tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know what? With Zion being out for a month, I'll say Denver and Memphis are in the first tier by themselves. Yeah. Then let's say. Wait, let's pause there for a second. Joker, three three, three Pete on MVP. I'll tell you what, every day that goes by, he has more and more of a chance of doing it, which I did not think was going to be the case a month ago. But the Celtics have come back to earth. The Bucs, you know, are not running away with the East. And. If De- if Denver wins the West and Nicole Jokic averages a triple double for a season, which he is flirting with doing, yeah, it's gonna be pretty hard, I think, for people not to vote for him. I had them on Christmas 
And Richard Jefferson and I and Beth Moens did that game. And after the game, you guys, you guys did an awesome job. I, I got home from my parents' house and I watched the final because I did Nick Sixers in the morning or the, yeah. I guess the first game. And I watched the final four or five minutes in overtime. And it was, it was, you guys, it was awesome. Awesome it was, game. It, it was an insane game to be at. Like it was so good. Um, But Richard and I left there saying, yeah, Joker's the leader in the MVP race right now. It's crazy. All right. So Denver, Memphis, tier one, tier two. West. I would, I would say they're tier one. I would say the Pelicans, the Mavericks and the Clippers are in tier two. Oh, it's so weird with these injuries. Like the beam, like the beam. Von Temps. Well, they're, they're, their ceiling just isn't as high. <laughs> uh, so how many teams are going to put in tier three? I would say Sacramento, Portland, okay. Golden State, and Utah, I would say, even though they've lost five in a row, they've lost them all by like a point. Yeah, well, that game I was insane. On that team. was an insane game. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say they're all in tier three. And then I would say, uh, yeah, I guess Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and the Lakers are in tier four by default. And then Where's the Spurs the, and the, the Rockets are in tier five. You haven't mentioned the Suns yet. You, you skipped on the oh, Suns. Oh, then I, I, would, I, would, I would have them, if we're doing it as of literally right now, I would have them with Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and the Lakers because they're just so banged up yeah. that th they're going to get drilled, I think, for a while until they get healthy. Um, but look like, you know, the better actually, you know, if you, so like, obviously the West is pretty stratified, but like, if you, you could make an argument, I think for Denver, Memphis, New Orleans, the Clippers, the Suns, the Warriors, and maybe even Dallas to win the West, which is, you know, as you know, like maybe you can make an argument for two or three teams in a conference to win in a given year. Six or seven is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's also a sign that the East is just to me pretty dramatically better than the West yeah. this year. Really not up for much of a debate. Yeah. And, you know, it, it will be interesting to see what happens. But I'm I'm really excited for the West playoffs. I just hope these teams are healthy because again, we're talking about those first round matchups. Like if you told me Denver plays a healthy Phoenix team in the first round, you could tell me Denver makes the finals and you could tell me that they could lose a one eight series, right? Yeah. Like it's really, it's really, really wide open up yeah. and down the board. I also want, uh, I would love those one eight series to be best of five again. I know the league will never do that. <laughs> that just made life so much more interesting. Um, in my opinion. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you go, I mean, you think back to like the Dikembe speaking of Denver, right? You think right. back to Dikembe, like holding the ball on the ground, the, obviously the heat, uh, heat Knicks with Allen Houston. Like there I try was not to remember some... that one as much. Actually. <laughs> but yeah, it would, it would certainly add some more uh, juice to it. But to your point, I think if anything, we're going to be seeing more games, not less. Yeah, so uh, agreed. They'll just add more plans in that. <laughs> That's right. Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA reporter, is in Philadelphia. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a lot of time, so I appreciate it. Uh, thank you again, and we will talk to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. There he is, Tim Bontemps. All right, that will do it for us. One episode, one guest, one mega Eastern Conference uh, preview from our man, Tim Bontemps. We will talk to you next time here on the Lockdown Podcast.